<clears throat> okay. Okay, okay. We are officially starting our meeting tonight. This is a public service meeting for the Black community <clears throat> to get informed information about the real purpose behind the COVID-19 epidemic and what is in those vaccines. So this is how I'm gonna do the show. I'm going to play some clips. I'm gonna play a, a few clips just so you can get all the knowledge, get all the information, get all the research. And then once we have all the information presented, anybody that's joining the meeting late or just getting into the meeting, I will record the meeting just so I don't have a copy of it. I won't post it to YouTube. So this is a private conversation. Nobody's uh, name or information will be posted. Um, so let me share my screen and let's start the, the news. And then after we finish the news, we're gonna have a conversation. Sound good? All right. All right, can everybody see my screen? Hello? Can anybody can anybody see my screen? Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. So these are the, the vaccine side effects that are not given to you when you sign a consent form for a vaccine. Blood clots cerebral venous sinus thrombosis and pulmonary embolism, as well as lead clots. Paralysis. Paralysis is the inability to move your body. Severe migraines or infertility, especially for the women that are in the show. Five, instant death. Six, cancer and autoimmune disorders, six to 12 months after vaccination. Seven, vitamin D deficiency. Eight, low platelet counts. And nine, anemia. So I'm going to play some news clips and then I'm going to come back with the rest of my commentary. Okay. Let me just make sure I got everybody here. Okay. test results from a New South Wales woman who died from blood clots shortly after receiving a COVID vaccination. Live to Paul Caddack. Paul, a direct link hasn't yet been confirmed. Good morning, Angela. That's right. And it's a point being emphasised by authorities this morning as they continue to investigate. The 48-year-old woman from Lake Macquarie on the New South Wales Central Coast received a vaccine last Friday and then reportedly developed blood clots the next day, ending up in intensive care. Sadly, she died on Wednesday. Now, the woman didn't suffer from diabetes, but otherwise was apparently in good health. It's understood, but not yet confirmed, she had received the AstraZeneca jab the day after. Official advice changed to no longer recommend that shot for people under the age of 50 because of the very rare chance of blood clots. Now, preliminary tests reportedly have not found a conclusive link to the vaccine, but authorities are waiting for more results. 
I think uh, as where, where the over 50 cohort is concerned, that people uh, should uh, make sure they seek medical attention if they have another condition. But otherwise, you know, I've had it, uh, others have had it, and it's a very small chance that anything will be adverse. And Paul, in a separate vaccine development this morning, Pfizer has revealed a third shot is likely necessary. Yeah, confirmation that the vaccination road ahead will be a long one. The boss of the pharmaceutical giant forecasting that even after the first and second doses, a booster shot would likely be needed within a year to ensure continuing protection against COVID. A likely scenario is that there will be likely a need for a third dose somewhere between uh, six and 12 months. And then from there, there will be an annual revaccination. Now, that is, of course, likely to put even further strain on suppliers as authorities try to work out how to ramp up Australia's current vaccination rollout. OK, thank you, Paul. Australians could be allowed to travel overseas once... Lauren is alive and well now, but went through a frightening experience. Lauren, thank you so much for talking with us. You started feeling ill 10 days after getting the AstraZeneca dose. Can you describe the symptoms and what you noticed that made you go to the hospital? I started with um, a horrendous headache. Um, I was really breathless. Um, I had a, like a, I had a high temperature. Um, so worst case scenario for me personally was that I thought I had COVID, which I've not had before. Um, so I went that evening to get a COVID test, which come back negative. Um, and that evening I noticed that I had a horrendous pain in my left leg, like in my calf. The ambulance came out, they took all like my um, observations, so like my blood pressure and temperature, things like that. And everything was normal, they were just a bit concerned with um, how breathless I was and the pain in my leg. So I arrived at the A&E department and um, I was immediately put into like a like an isolation room so now you're you're in the hospital you know you don't have covid but you don't know what you have had you made any link to the vaccine at this point i personally hadn't but whilst i was um in this room in the hospital my boyfriend actually messaged me um like a screenshot of a um a news report about the astrazeneca and um i think it was that they were now being they were pausing it and investigating the thing about blood clots and he said it could be this and at this point I hadn't even put two and two together and even thought that that could be the thing that the reason. So you were sent home given a blood thin thinner and sent home what happened yeah. next? Um, I got a phone call on the Wednesday morning to go into back to the hospital for a CT scan on my lungs Um, I still wasn't feeling well. I had the CT scan and then I got put into a waiting room and at this point I had horrendous pain in my leg. I was probably sat there for about half an hour and, to, and then a member of staff came over to me because I was crying again because like I was in a lot of pain and I was obviously worried. Um, I got put into like a sideboard into a bed and literally about five minutes later two doctors and a consultant came over to me and then he said, um, basically, you have blood clots on your lungs and we assume it's from the AstraZeneca vaccine. At this point, I broke down in tears because I was really, really worried. Um, I'm only 32. I've got 
four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. And to be told that I had blood clots on my lungs, which is deadly, was scary. And I did actually ask him, am I going to die? And he said, we need to start um, treatment as soon as possible. After all these tests, it come back that um, the blood clots were in my leg. If they, they presume that that's where they started. And then they traveled to my lungs. Luckily, there was no blood clots on my brain. You're still waiting to find out if it's officially related to the vaccine, but the doctors who you have seen so far certainly suspect that. On my uh, discharge notes, it says vaccine-induced thrombosis and thrombocytopenia. Every single doctor that I've seen has said that they've never, ever seen this kind of blood reaction and clots and things in anyone. You don't have any previous history of blood clots? I've never had blood clots in my life. Um, yeah, but now I've been told that, um, obviously I have these blood clots. Um, I'm now severely anemic. I'm vitamin D deficient. I had um, severely low pl blood platelets. So let me go back to when you had the vaccine, Lauren. Did you have any hesitancy before you took the AstraZeneca vaccine? Honestly, no. There was a time when I was in hospital. On the Thursday, I woke up with a horrendous headache. I was in so much pain. I actually text, like, my, I sent a text message to my family and my boyfriend saying that I don't know if I'm going to wake up because I'm in that much pain. And the nurses were trying to say to me basically you've had all your tests on your head there's no blood clot on your brain but I said well that doesn't mean to say that no blood clots can now but I mean a blood clot could still travel to my brain and um, yeah that was the one point when I really honestly thought that I wasn't going to wake up I'm so sorry for the ordeal you went through it just sounds uh, gut-wrenching Lauren, what do you tell your friends and family now who are still waiting to be vaccinated? I honestly don't think that they should be given the AstraZeneca vaccine now due to the fact that there's even been one death of blood clots. So it just worries me that any other person that could have the vaccine could become ill, think, oh, it's COVID. They either get a test or they don't and just maybe isolate, not get proper medical help and possibly die because I didn't know the symptoms that I had meant I had a blood clot at all. You should, in theory, be getting a second AstraZeneca dose. Obviously, you're not going to do that. No, my um, doctor advised me not to get that because I would end up in hospital again. It's not something that you ever think that it's going to happen to you. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And i um, glad you're feeling better, and I hope it improves much more. Thank you so much.
Israel says the South African variant of the coronavirus may be able to evade some protection of the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine. While it has yet to be peer-reviewed, researchers at the largest healthcare organization in Israel have found data that suggests that the variant is able, in certain instances, to break through the protection of the vaccine more so than the original strain. study that you're talking about involved the Pfizer vaccine. I'm on the board of Pfizer, of course, and it was real world evidence derived from Israel. But the study didn't say, I think, what it's what some people are interpreting. They looked at people who had been vaccinated and who had become subsequently infected. And it was a small data set. I believe it was only eight patients who had the dirt. Of people who had been vaccinated who subsequently got infected got infected with the 1351 variant. Um, it didn't look like they, it didn't appear they got very sick in the study. They just got infected with that variant. So I think it's intuitive that if someone is vaccinated is going to get infected, it's more likely to be with one of the variants. That's the best you can conclude here. Also, one other key point which was left out of the analysis is that everyone who got the 1351 variant got the variant before they were fully vaccinated. So if the infection had occurred before 14 days after their second injection, nobody got infected with 131 after 14 days. India's COVID cases are rising in an unprecedented manner, with India's daily tally of COVID-19 infections surging by records. Public health experts worry that a new, possibly more lethal coronavirus variant could be behind the second wave of the crisis in India. Our reports indicate that a third mutation in the highly contagious variant detected earlier in India has now been flagged in some parts of the country and uh, the double mutant strain of the coronavirus, B1167, was first detected way back in October of last year. So the genome sequencing of the, the virus sample was taken then. Now, India's health ministry also has uh, acknowledged the presence of a double mutant, but has downplayed the destructive potential of that mutant. Our reports indicate slow pace of genome sequencing exercise uh, but further slowed down between November and January, which played a key role in the second COVID wave in the country with the arrival of the new mutation. Our experts are hoping that authorities will now step up their efforts to conduct more genome sequencing of the virus samples. Genome sequencing gives information about the virus origins, routes taken to reach a particular area, and the changes or mutations that are making the virus stronger or weaker. Now, it was only in January of this year that the government announced setting up the Indian SARS-CoV-2 Genomics Consortium to expedite the gene sequencing effort from India through a consortium of 10 laboratories. Now, the genome sequencing is extremely crucial, not just for designing control measures, but also for the development of drugs and for vaccines to contain the pandemic. <laughs> 
Vaccines prepare the immune system, getting it ready to fight disease-causing organisms called pathogens. A vaccine is introduced to the body to mimic infection, triggering the body to produce antibodies against the pathogen, but without causing the illness. Conventional vaccines usually contain a weakened or inactivated pathogen, or a piece of a protein produced by the pathogen called an antigen. RNA vaccines are a new generation of vaccines. Instead of the antigen itself, RNA vaccines contain a messenger RNA, mRNA, that encodes for the antigen. Once inside the body's cells, the mRNA is translated into protein, the antigen, by the same process the cells use to make their own proteins. The antigen is then displayed on the cell surface where it is recognized by the immune system. From here, the sequence of events is similar to that of a conventional vaccine. Some RNA vaccines also contain additional mRNA coding for an enzyme, which after being translated in host cells can generate multiple copies of the antigen encoding mRNA. This essentially amplifies the production of antigen from a small amount of vaccine, making the vaccine more effective. These are called self-amplifying RNA vaccines. RNA vaccines are easier and safer to produce than conventional vaccines. This is because mRNA molecules can be synthesized in a cell-free system using a DNA template with a sequence of the pathogen. While conventional vaccines usually require a more complicated and risk-prone process of growing large amounts of infectious pathogens in chicken eggs or other mammalian cells, Without the risks of being contaminated by infectious elements or allergens from egg cultures, RNA vaccines are also safer for patients. Because protein synthesis occurs in the cytoplasm, RNA molecules do not need to enter the nucleus, so the possibility of them integrating into the host cell genome is low. RNA strands are usually degraded by cellular enzymes once the protein is made. The relative simplicity of the production process makes it easier to standardize and scale, enabling rapid responses to emerging pandemics. Other advantages include lower production costs and the ease of tweaking RNA sequences to adapt to rapidly mutating pathogens. On the minus side, it can be challenging to deliver mRNA effectively to the cells since RNA sequences and secondary structures may be recognized and destroyed by the innate immune system as soon as they are administered intravenously. These limitations can be overcome by optimizing codons, using modified nucleosides to avoid recognition, and packaging RNA into protective nanoparticles. Another disadvantage is that most RNA vaccines require uninterrupted refrigeration for transportation and storage which can be a hurdle for vaccine distribution. Research is ongoing to engineer thermostable vaccines. The human body is an amazing machine made up of trillions of cells. Within those cells are proteins, which do most of the work and are required for the structure, function, and regulation of the body's organs and tissues. Your cells create these proteins based on instructions found in deoxyribonucleic acid, or DNA. Sometimes the genetic instructions can be altered by a hereditary condition or external causes such as radiation or toxins. 
These alterations or mutations can cause cells to produce a defective protein or stop producing a protein altogether, resulting in genetic diseases that cannot be cured by traditional treatments. Recent advances in the biotechnology industry mean mutations can now be corrected and therapeutic genes can be inserted into cells, offering hope for patients with diseases due to irregularities in their DNA. So how are these therapeutic advances made? With plasmid DNA. Plasmid DNA is the tool used to help correct the mutations and is a key part of developing and delivering a genetic therapy. Plasmid DNA, or plasmids, are circular, double-stranded DNA molecules occurring naturally in bacterial cells. Plasmids help bacteria survive in environments that would be otherwise restrictive or toxic, such as giving the bacteria the power to resist extreme temperatures or antibiotics. Plasmids are easy to manipulate. Scientists can insert a corrected version of a broken gene into a plasmid and place it inside of bacteria. Then, using bacteria's natural rapid reproduction, enough curative DNA for patient treatment or research is produced. Researchers and biotech organizations use plasmids as tools in a variety of scientific applications, such as in vivo gene therapy, which in some cases uses adeno-associated virus, or AAV, to deliver therapeutic DNA, or a transgene, to infect itself. In the clinic, AAV can be administered to specific cells that are defective, which allow them to create the needed protein, delivering treatment to the patient. Another type of therapy is ex vivo gene therapy, which can use a different type of virus, called lentivirus, to deliver therapeutic plasmid DNA to cells harvested from patients. Lentiviruses permanently insert themselves into the genomic DNA of harvested cells, which are then returned to the patients. These cells then grow and divide in the patient, passing the therapeutic gene to all their daughter cells. An example of ex vivo gene therapy is CAR T cell therapy, which trains a patient's own cells to recognize and kill cancer. Plasmids are also used in DNA vaccinations that are designed to induce immunological responses in patients, an approach that may address pathogen outbreaks like Zika virus or HIV. Plasmid DNA is incredibly versatile, and our company, Aldevron, is supporting scientists that are developing new ways to bring plasmid-based treatments to patients every day. We have been manufacturing plasmids and other biologics for over 20 years. Our clients are solving some of the world's most important and challenging problems and producing solutions that benefit us all. Vaccines have saved millions of lives in the past century. For now, they're the best way out of this crisis, but there are exciting new prospects waiting in the wings. The practice of vaccinating dates back thousands of years through rabbit spines, powdered cowpox, and fearless scientists. Today, viral vectors and mRNA technology have been instrumental in fighting COVID-19. And another technique could be DNA-based vaccines. The beauty is that scientists can design them on a computer in a matter of hours, but people are worried about their own DNA being altered. Italy is set to start trials of a vaccine based on a DNA fragment next month. Its drug regulator having approved the COVID EVAX inoculation. More on the safety issue in a bit. First, a little history lesson. 
As early as the 10th century in China, secretions from smallpox pustules were dried and rubbed into superficial scratches in the skin or inhaled. This is considered the first inoculation using attenuated pathogens to cause a reaction by the immune system. In the 1770s, English physician Edward Jenner discovered that people infected with cowpox, which was relatively harmless, did not contract the much more deadly smallpox disease. In 1796, he vaccinated an eight-year-old boy with pus from a milkmaid's cowpox lesions. Six weeks later, the boy proved to be immune. Hence the name Maxine, from vaca, the Latin word for cow. Originally, vaccines were based on injecting or administering small doses of attenuated live or dead viruses into the body. The immune system then attacked them and created antibodies and subsequently an immunity. With more complex viruses, such as SARS-CoV-2, a roundabout method is necessary. That's why research teams try to produce only certain fragments of one viral protein the spike protein, which, when safely introduced to the body, would stimulate an immune response. Genetically manipulated DNA and RNA vaccines are also being tested. Here, the body produces a protein by itself that triggers an immune reaction. Another possibility is the viral vector vaccine. In this case, a harmless virus is disguised as the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the immune system responds and remembers the characteristics. DNA vaccines get alarm bells ringing for some people. Just how safe are they? Well, actually, there's been a lot of studies. Meanwhile, and I would even say surprisingly, um, they found very little integration. Some studies just found zero of it, although they found, clearly found the DNA in the organisms. So apparently they seem to be safe. But apart from the close to zero results, I mean, is there is there something to be concerned about there? Well, yeah, you always have to keep an eye on that. That's for sure. And this is why there's all these safety uh, studies after a vaccine has been rolled out to just observe for long longer term effects if you want. And you, there's nothing in, in biology, there's nothing you can exclude to 100%. But uh, just to keep that in a perspective, uh, vaccines like uh, if you use an, a, a DNA virus vector is in fact also a DNA vaccine. It's just um, enclosed in a virus shell, but from uh, the point on when it, ha it has entered the cell, it's basically the same as a DNA vaccine. And I guess we can't be 100% yet because they're not ready for humans, they're being tested on animals. Yes, correct. Yeah. There's two animal vaccines out at the time. Um, what, what sort of animals and what sort of results have been achieved there? Well, one is for horses about West Nile virus and the other is for salmon. It's called infectious hematopoietic necrosis virus, which is a raptovirus well, related to rabies, basically. And um, in both cases, they found them to be safe and efficient. This is why they are licensed and you can, can give them as a vet. So okay, um, so apparently there seems Sorry. I was just going to say they're safe and efficient and uh, uh, proving quite successful. Um, why are DNA 
vaccines lagging behind other sorts of vaccines then? Um, I think exactly because of the concerns you just expressed, and uh, these are real concerns, no doubt about this, and uh, they have to be checked on and on. And But safety is always, during all those clinical studies, the first issue, the first thing to be checked rather than efficiency, which comes later on. And um, as I said, so far, it seems to be okay. But the other ones, are, um, most of them, apart from the messenger RNA vaccines, are like established platforms. All you had to do was to put the, your favorite SARS-CoV-2 antigen on it and let it express by your vector. And then off you go. So that's easier because there's always there's already licensed vaccines on these platforms. Okay, well, let's compare the mRNA vaccines to the DNA vaccines and how they both work. The DNA vaccine introduces genetic code of a piece of a virus like the spike protein, for example, into a person's cells, um, just like an mRNA um, vaccine, but it then has to get into the nucleus where it's transcribed into mRNA, which instructs the cell to produce the spike protein, priming the immune system for the real virus. So the DNA has to get into the cell nucleus to make the mRNA. Why not just take the mRNA vaccine in the first place? Well, that's perfectly correct. Uh, the only thing is simply messenger RNA vaccines are much more expensive, like 10 times as much at least. So it's also a question of economy. And DNA is just very, very simple to make and very cheap to produce in huge amounts. It, it is something that the people are genuinely worried about, though, injecting that DNA into the nucleus of their cells. I mean, can it harm cells? Can it alter the genome? Um, well, in fact, if you have a vaccine, you have to harm the cells to some extent, because um, besides the expression of the antigen, you need to have a little injury to be set. All right. So he, he said, in order to receive a vaccine, I must harm your cells. Continue. In order to alarm the immune system. So this is uh, always goes hand in hand, if you want. And in fact, uh, what, what we do is we apply the DNA as an electric shock. So you get a little little shock, yes, with a, with a device that looks like a pistol. It has a certain amount of electrodes. There's still experiments how many. So what he's saying is that the DNA vaccine, there is a device in the vaccine that looks like a pistol and it will produce an electric shock to your DNA. That will be in the end. And um, after this little shock, the DNA has entered the cell, not necessarily the nucleus, that will be the next step and will not happen in all the cells. But when cells are dividing, the nucleus is uh, uh, dissolving actually, and uh, it's in the open and it will kind of, when the cells have divided, form again, and then this plasmid DNA is ending up in the nucleus. You're making it sound better and better with the electric shock and pistol. But tell me, how will a DNA vaccine? <laughs> I've seen videos of people. They survived it, yeah. <laughs> they survived, that's good to hear. Yeah. Tell me how a DNA vaccine could actually deal with something like mutations, which is on everyone's minds right now. I think with a DNA vaccine, one is as flexible as with a messenger RNA vaccine or with a, with a adenovirus vector, for example. All you need is your new sequence. Either you insert, if it's just one mutation, you can insert it like by hand 
in the lab. Everybody could do that in the lab. Or if it's more uh, mutations all over the gene, then you just exchange the whole gene. But this is basically normal lab work and not much of a problem. You heard it from Friedemann Weber, a professor of virology at the University of Giza. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. And Let's get you over to Al. All right, so you guys just saw that. Um, <clears throat> what else do I have? Now, let's talk about the test for a second. We're going to talk about the test. This is of Dr. Phil Valentine, by the way. Part B, testing. Yeah, testing. Here's what the deal is on that testing. Remember, he said to not deal with testing. Why? Well, the CDC and the, uh, the WHO claim that the virus wreaks havoc on the nervous systems of a large percentage of people, causing long-term neurological problems and brain damage. But given the nature of the test, is it the virus or the test itself? Many of the tests, all of them using the extra-long Q-tips or swabs, take their samples from an area of your skull called the quiberform plate which is a multi-millimeter thick, uh, I guess that number, 039 inch bone. It's gonna, that, that number is gonna be relevant in a, in a few frames. At the top of the nasal cavity that is perforated with many holes that open directly into the brain cavity. These are the holes that your olfactory nerves pass through like a screen door. There it is, okay? I'm gonna show you it in proximity in, a, in, a, uh, in another way. Here, look at it right there. You see where it's located? Now, you see the perforation in the green. I'm hoping that you can see it there. You know, the perforation in the green, that's where they actually swab. But because it is there, you see it, there's nothing covering it right into the brain cavity, they can act actually place something there rather than take something from there. And of course, this was actually brought to bear by uh, other people that, that made a lot of sense to me because um, knowing certain parts of the sinus cavities, uh, a lot of people who have say problems with uh, allergies and so forth, uh, they have an accumulation of etheric energy around that place there that has to do with thought processes. And it's right there next to the frontal lobe, which is very devastating because that's the place where you do all of your higher thinking, where all of your higher spirituality is processed. It's in the frontal lobe. So what do they do? They take it and they go all the way back. But look at what they're doing, family. They're showing you in the graphs that it's going down the throat. They take it down into the throat instead of up. Notice that every one of them, because they know it's wrong, every one of these long strokes are not actually going, they're not showing you the proper, um, what, what, what do I call this, uh, example, I guess? Yeah, they're not showing you a proper example of what they are actually doing. Here's what they're actually doing. Does that look at the angle of the man's hand that's going up his brother's nose, did it look anything? Look at his name. Does it look anything like that? It's going in a completely different direction. 
Okay? Now, look very carefully. If you wanted to brand or virtually impregnate someone by implanting a clandestine, genetically engineered bioweapon via the mucous membrane or the brain, as well as nanoparticles or a nanochip, this would be the perfect place to do it. As the perfect secondary vector for whatever else they wanted to implant, this method is ideal because of its most almost immediate access to the brain with practically no hope of removal. But again, practically no hope of removal. Once they put it in there, you'd have to have brain surgery to get it out. Now, I've had calls from people complaining that the test was extremely painful, some having had nosebleeds with the pain lasting several days, few temporarily losing their sense of smell. Are the tests that penetrate that deeply into the nasal cavities a real COVID test? Okay, now, listen carefully to fact check. <clears throat> this was fact checked by a woman named Camille Caldera when we were when the guy put out the information about whether or not that place at the cuboform, the cuboform can be penetrated. Of course, right away, when that went viral, USA had to come with a response. McLean, why does the COVID test require a swab so far back into the nose? Is it implanting somebody? This is what it came up with. In a July post on ah, his name, David D. Smith questioned why COVID tests do not swab the mouth, noting that the virus is spread in microscopic saliva particles and that cheek swabs are often used uh, for other tests like DNA tests. Modern science can take a swab from the inside of your cheek and do a complete DNA mapping, Smith wrote. If this COVID-19 is so contagious, that tiny microscopic particles of saliva in your mouth could spread out in excess of six feet and you need to wear a mask to stop the spread. Why not swab the inside of your highly contagious mouth? Smith also speculated and rather than retrieving a sample, nasal COVID-19 tests could actually be implanting something. Now, of course, they got to put state what is going on and then refute it. They always got their fact checkers that they hire. The claim, diagnostic tests for COVID-19 must be performed on the respiratory tract. Of the five acceptable specimens for initial testing listed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, four are nasal or nasopharyngeal specimens, which the test, which test the nose, the throat, and uh, the nose or nose and the throat, respectively. Sorry. The fifth type, listen, or oropharyngeal specimen is not recommended by the CDC. Hmm, I wonder why, but is acceptable and swabs the throat and tonsils. Now, why do they want all four to go up in the nostrils so close to the brain? You have to understand that there is something else afoot. A fact sheet, and this is what I found. A fact sheet from the Office of Assistant Secretary of Health, because I went to find out more on this, states that nasal sampling is, quote, less invasive and results in less patient discomfort than alternate sampling site. Are you kidding? Going up into somebody's nose and shoving it up against 
the uh, the cuboformal pain uh, plate and people coming out with with pains in their nostrils are you kidding the tests are intended to identify genetic material of the virus according to the food and drug administration to diagnose COVID-19, the swab must collect the virus from the nose or throat. The larger the surface area swab, listen, the more likely it is the swab will collect any virus present in the nose and throat. So the larger the surface area, did you see the surface area that they were going up in? When they were going up against the cute, that, that area, that's where the brother you saw. The larger the area, the more you have a chance to collect any type of virus. So I'm showing you the difference. You're looking at the difference of this poor man going through this test, and there's what his throat, look, look at the size of that area. You can go back there and you can, crap, you can put a whole, uh, God knows, you can put a gigantic Q, uh, 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 Q-tip and swab that mouth. Look at the size of the mouth. You see what I'm saying? It does, it's not logical unless there is some kind of, underlying situation. Now, where did I go? Of course I went. I went and I, I researched. That's what everybody here should be doing. This is what you have the chance to do. So what did I do? I went to the office of the secretary and found out for myself. What did I find? Of course, here's what I found. The procedure for nasal or anterior nasal samples is as follows. Using a flocked or spun polyester swab, insert the swab, at least listen, one centimeter or 0.5 inches. And I measured these myself, family. I measured them myself inside the nostril. 0.5. This means it's right around the damn rim. Okay? This is what they're telling you on the, on the site. And firmly hmm, sample the nasal membrane by rotating the swab and leaving it in place for 10 to 15 seconds. Sample both nostrils with the same swab, okay? What did they say? One centimeter or a fifth of an inch. Holy mackerel. Well, what do we get? Here I did, I think this is me doing my own thing. Is, I say, okay, let's just test this out. I, if you were on my computer, you would see that I actually tried to put together a schematic, you know, I have a big screen, so I put together a schematic and measured the five inch, the 0.5 centimeters in this. So I said, I fed on the average length of a male clothes, the male. I went and I researched what was the average length of the adult male's nose. It's about 5.8 centimeters. And the adult female's nose length is usually around about hmm, 5.1 centimeters. The length and width of a nose increase with age. Okay, so what is it? 5.8 centimeters, and I'm using a male, is 2.2 inches. Okay, so what did I do? Again, I've taken a piece of what you read from the CDC, and I put it there. What is the word anterior? Of course, you see the word here inside. It means in front of, okay? Thank you, Mama. Now, here's my little schematic. All right, so... What it is, they said 2.3 inches, that's what it becomes, because 2.29 means rounds off to 2.3. So I say, okay, this man's nose is 2.3 inches in length, all right? So what did I do? I did my, my research and did 
and saw exactly how much 0.05, and there you see it, 0.45 inches inside the nostrils. Following me, check. Point, that's how far up the swab should have gone, okay? Also, 0.3 inches, all right? If you're dealing with, I guess, the ladies. So why are we ending up all the way down this man's nostrils when the protocol for taking a sample from the nose is barely getting past the point where your nostrils are? Something else is the foot family. That's why the doctor was so adamant about telling you not to get tested. This is the way that they're spreading it, okay? I hope you've seen this. And I just want you to see the schematics, and there it is. There it is, the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Health. It's on his or her website, SARS-CoV fact sheet, using the flood. The procedure for nasal or anterior sampling is as follows. Family, there it is. Why are they taking it and going all the way down into your throat? They're telling you what it is for the fact this is COVID-19. Here they are telling you right there on the site what it is that the test is supposed to look like. Yes, still, they're going all the way up. Go down. No, no, no. No, they show you how, yeah, you're right. I should have said up. Thank you. But I mean, as you saw the pictures of them shoving it down the nose and I guess going down into the palate. It's, it's sick. Okay. Why? Well, testing, testing cases equal numbers. Numbers equal probable cause. Probable cause equals contagiability. Contagiability is proof positive. Proof positive equals draconian lockdown. Ultimate goal, socioeconomic, political, cultural, mental, and psycho-spiritual implosion of the United States of North America. I hope I'm getting through, Phil. What I say is that the COVID con is that the testing is the real pandemic. They are actually testing cases and they're using those numbers to keep you in lockdown because you don't study. You don't look into the facts. You don't study behind it. They can, they can play us because they've dumbed us down over the last 25 years of feminism. They've changed the curriculum from one that you have to study, you have to research, you have to learn how to write a proper sentence without abbreviating like they do when they talk on texts. You have to be able to articulate and be able to go into the into a discussion with with facts and understand and understand what they used to call the liberal arts understanding how to write a proper sentence understanding how to articulate a point how to diagram a sentence and know exactly what to use where As we approach one full year of COVID restrictions, there's new data confirming that a baby boom that some doctors and for that matter, comedians expected is actually turning out to be a major baby bust. Health departments in 27 states provided records to cbsnews.com and they show a 7% drop in births in December. That would be nine months after the first lockdowns began. 
and it could be just the beginning. Researchers say it matches a much bigger plunge in fertility that is decades in the making. The number of babies the average woman is expected to deliver in her lifetime has dropped from nearly four in the 1950s to less than two today. And that could present an entirely different threat to society as we know it than we were first warned about decades ago. The stakes in this battle are far greater than any other we have ever fought. In the 1960s and 70s, an apocalyptic fear gripped America. The experts we interviewed told us population was the fundamental crisis. As the world stampeded toward 10 billion people, many researchers predicted that overpopulation would ruin us. Sometime in the next 15 years, the end will come. And by the end, I mean an utter breakdown of the capacity of the planet to support humanity. But these days, a very different note from researchers like USC professor Dal Myers, who studies demographic trends. The trouble is that we, we overshot. We dropped it down too much now. While the global population is still growing, a major study last summer predicted it'll actually peak in 2064 and then fall by nearly a billion people by the end of the century. The reason? Fewer babies. Here in the U.S., in fact, we're already below the so-called replacement level by some measures. And that means fewer young people to support our otherwise aging population. That's a crisis. We need to have enough working age people to carry the load of these seniors who deserve their retirement. They deserve all their entitlements. And they're going to live out another 30 years. Nobody in the history of the, of the globe has had so many older people to deal with. And the pandemic is only making this problem worse, despite some early jokes that more families staying home together might mean more babies. When we thought, oh, we would see a baby boom, but we just haven't seen it. Dr. David Jaspin is chair of the Department of Gynecology and Obstetrics at Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia. He says patients are worried about not only their health, but their finances. So you're hearing more people ask you about contraception and fewer people say, we're thinking about trying. That's absolutely true. I get a report every morning at 5.15 about what has happened in the last 24 hours. And the first report that I see is the number of deliveries in the last 24 hours. It's less than it used to be. The question now is, how low will it go? The Brookings Institution has predicted a large, lasting baby bust of at least 300,000 fewer children in 2021. We are on the precipice, at the very least, of not having enough children to replace our population. And so what? I mean, well, that's the interesting that's the question. question yeah. right? Laura Lindbergh tracks reproductive data for the Guttmacher Institute. And while she's also seeing the baby bust, she views it as a sign of progress, a marker of women's equality and freedom of choice. So it's a shift to later in life. In that shift comes more education, more career, more employment. Um, so it's a reordering of how people engage in adulthood. Dal Myers doesn't disagree, but in the bigger picture, he worries our declining birth rate is also a barometer of despair. In 1978, when you were breaking into the field, did you ever think in your lifetime you'd be talking about a declining birth rate globally? No. So what changed? The burdens of life, the cost of housing, the cost of education, all these things are, have, have become more and more difficult. I think the, the boomers themselves don't realize it, how much harder it is for millennials today. And they think, oh, yeah, we were young. We had to live, you know, on very little money. And we made do, and you can do the same. That's the story, right? 
Well, no, it really is a lot harder for the young people today. It's amazing how much harder it is. Yeah. See so how I slipped in that millennial that. propaganda? Yes. <laughs> but I think that's true, though. Yeah, but it's a very important it's point, true. I think. Yeah. All right. So let me come back off the screen. All right. So the reason I played all of that information was just to put it all in one place for everybody that may not have been following the information. Um, so DNA vaccines are on the way. RNA vaccines are already out there. Um, and the Black community has been targeted for these vaccines in particular by people like President Obama, um, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, and uh, many other people have promoted this to the Black community. And um, all the major Black colleges now require the vaccine to go back to college in the fall. So that's pretty much everything that I wanted to cover. Um, I want to give anybody else that's here tonight. We got four people here. So I wanted to give anybody else that's there an opportunity to give their thoughts or ask any questions about any of the information or research that we discussed. So um, you guys can raise your hand and unmute yourselves if you have anything to add to this conversation. Go ahead. Hey, Shaquem, it's Outlaw. Um, I guess I'm on Central Time. So you had started already, right? It was 9 Eastern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on Eastern Time. All right. So it was actually 8 my time. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. No, no worries. Um, I mean, my, my thing is with I'm on a group, a holistic group with some people I know from out here, and we're always looking at this daily. And I can tell you flat out, the people who are, and I could actually, I'll email you the article, the people who are taking the shot are carriers. They are shedding it, and that's how people are ending up being infected. So at the end of the day, people just have to be able to keep their immune system up to par because you're, the immunity that God gave you is what's going to get you through this, not what I like to call a witch's brew cooked up in a laboratory where these people have total immunity. I mean, Johnson and Johnson is a criminal enterprise. Like they paid out billions for their uh, baby powder that causes cancer. One of the other companies, for example, this is their first product. I forgot which one they've been around for several years, but this is their first product and they have immunity. Yeah. Yeah. Now just imagine as a business owner, you make tires or whatever your product is and you're told you're not accountable for the quality of your product, you're going to cut corners. It's very simple. This is just this is just so ridiculous. I don't know. Have you seen the um, Run DMC thing about uh, the the hip hop doctor or whatever have you? Where it's cartoons and they're telling black people to get the vaccine that this is not Tuskegee anymore. Don't worry about it. So on and so forth. Yes, I did see that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And to me, it's disrespectful because it shows that the how little they think of black people, because they know that a lot of our people don't read. And then on top of that, it's the churches, too. You have all these pastors documenting themselves, taking the shot, making their, their churches hubs to uh, put this witch's brew into their arms. And there's zero accountability. As I said, like if this thing is so safe, you wouldn't need immunity. You wouldn't need to cut all these corners and say, and you know, they're gonna approve the J and J shot again. I don't know if you discussed that. They've already announced it. 
and they're saying your odds of clotting is one in a million. But how can they guarantee you that? How do, how do they know that? Right. right. Because they haven't even tested a billion people. Like they haven't, it hasn't been tested long enough. Like I, um, we were talking, this is T. Pre, by the way, I'm sorry. Hey, T. Pre. Um, hey guys. No, they were, um, I remember talking the other night some, a little bit about this before that you said you had took that live down. But um, yeah, it takes like 10 to 15 years to develop a vaccine. Yep. Okay, so, and that includes like the testing of it, that includes going through the labs, testing it on animals, and then testing it on human subjects, going through the changes, the processing of it. All of that takes like 10 to 15 years. This would like you call it a witch's brew. This is uh, almost like a, I almost wanna call it, um, what do they call those drugs that they give people uh, I want to call it a pseudo drug, but it's, that's not what it's called. But it's something where um, a placebo. Yeah, it's like they're just giving them something to make them believe that they're really being, you know, um, protected from COVID. But in actuality, they're right at this time. There is just no protection from it other than keeping up your immune system. You know what I mean? It's that's really flu. it. You know, right, exactly. Lexicon, it's a really bad it's version of the flu. flu. Yes. Exactly. So they don't talk about the flu anymore. They make it like it's this thing that just dropped out of the sky. But at the end of the day, there are tons and tons of coronaviruses. The way people survived was through natural immunity. And the reason why a lot of people died is because people, for the most part, are walking around vitamin D deficient, stressed out with their immunity weakened, comorbidities if you're sick already then the flu or whatever else can finish you off. It's so simple that it's stupid. But again, most people don't have a basic background in biology and understanding how their body works, and they don't trust that they can learn. And this information age is actually so easy to learn this information because they don't teach you that in school. But at the end of the day, it is extremely easy to learn and understand. And I, I love to just challenge people of whatever faith you are, what this is exposing for those running and getting the shot but claim they believe in some sort of God, their true God is actually science. Because if your God designed you perfectly and got your back, why would you be afraid of some virus can take you out? Exactly. And yeah, that, and, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Tiffany. No, I was gonna say, well, that and also the fact that like you said, you know, our bodies, our bodies are already built to replenish itself with certain things. So um, if you, like say for instance, if you get some kind of sickness, if you can, you can just put natural supplements in your body and that sickness will be gone faster than you would if you tried to take you know, medications um, and different things like that. I know that for a fact because I, I specifically used a lot of holistic healing on my own children over the years. If they would catch a cold, I would, you know, there was certain things I used around the house, like um, chicken broth, for instance, uh, garlic. I put a lot of natural things, you know, in their bodies. And I didn't always take them to the doctor every time they had a sniffle, you know what I mean? Or every time they had a fever, I learned how to deal, you know, do things naturally. And because of that, they get, they, they rarely got sick and they rarely are sick now. 
you know, even as adults. So, and then I, I have a 12 year old, but even as the rest of them are adults and they don't get sick, you know? Yeah, so it's crazy because, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was no, going to say your body is just meant to repair itself. You know what I mean? Eventually, if you, if you leave it alone and you take care of it properly, your body will repair itself properly. Yep. Exactly. And I just want to add that um, vitamin D is the most important thing that you can take for your immune system. And <clears throat> all you really need is 30 to 40 minutes of sunlight a day to get that vitamin D. But a lot of times, um, because we're on lockdown, we're not really getting any sunlight. And so there's a doctor named Ryan Cole, and the government is trying to censor a medical doctor who's telling people to go get vitamin D and to also yep. get this drug called ivermectin, which they've done so many trials in ivermectin for COVID-19, and it's on the list of essential medicines by the FDA, but the FDA still won't recommend it for treatment. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's kind of very sick and sinister what they're trying to do to our genetics. They're, they're attacking us on a genetic level. And, uh, you know, most people, unfortunately, if you don't, like they always say, ignorance of the law is not an excuse, right? So if you don't have the knowledge of vitamin D and zinc and ivermectin and your immune system, then, oh, well, you know, because at this point, they're not going to allow the truth to get out. Because even if you have a medical degree, even if you're a white male, they don't care. <laughs> They don't give a yeah, fuck. They, it's, it's high time out here. You know, it's funny with what you mentioned, and I have a few of his talking points from the lecture of his up. And one of the things to remember that's important is that anybody above the um, 35th parallel, like you actually still need to supplement because you end up getting less. You end up naturally deficient because of the fall in the winter. And then also, too, if you have any other issues going on, it's just important to first get yourself uh, ramped up is basically your true insurance policy. That's your vaccination, folks. You know, you take qu the quality supplements, things your body can recognize. That's your, um, yeah, that's your insurance policy. Not this nonsense with this witch's brew that they've put together. This is just insanity. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, um, you, oh, yeah. One other thing he said about Black people, he said, um, it's not that Black people are disproportionately affected by COVID. Is that it's harder for our bodies to produce sunlight or get vitamin D. And so yep. the, the darker you are, the harder it is for you to produce vitamin D, the harder it is for your immune system to fight an infection if you're not getting it. So it has nothing to do with, um, it does have something to do with racism, but the real issue is that our people, the, the darkest people on the planet, the oldest people on the planet are not even aware that they need sunlight <laughs> so i'm so happy that he said that um but the very next day after he did that talk um he was banned on social media and the news is trying to basically censor him and he's a white man so that that's why i had to do this meeting off youtube because i know if i don't have a medical i'm not even safe if i have a medical degree <laughs> so that's where we're at right now um what do you guys think about the DNA vaccines? Any oh, it's it's so it's <laughs> it's a software. You know, it's funny. I can I'll send you a quick write up of this lady 
uh, Shaquem, and she's talking about it. And what they're looking to do is basically truly alter us at the cellular level. I mean, we're, they're turning us into GMO humans at the end of the day, because imagine with this, they can now download, like if it's an operating system, they can download certain things into you. And they, they technically probably won't need to give you endless shots if they could get you to take this because with things like nanobots and nanobacteria, they, how do you know they're not truly chipping you? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, we have no... Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Hello? Yeah, go I'm ahead. I'm still here. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I think... Um... Outlaw, you're on mute if you're there. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah I'm going to send it to you uh, right now, and you can see it. It's a quick little write-up. Um, here, it's untitled. This investment advisor, her name is uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, and it's like she talks about the injection, this quick write-up. Yeah, just... Uh, Oops, I just sent it to you. They they are playing, I mean, it, it's, they're definitely culling people. You know, one thing you mentioned, T-Pre, and it verified what I suspected. I told friends a week ago, I said, I bet you in the batches that some of those batches is placebo for multiple reasons. One, for money, because these bastards are so evil and greedy. But two, you don't want to spook everyone. So if you made 10% of the batches or 12 or even 15%, give people placebo, nothing happens. You see, and, and here they are thinking that they got something that helps them and that's where they get the benefit. Exactly. But also too, you guarantee now not everybody has a reaction. Not every, you lower the, the odds of blood clots, you lower everything. So it's actually a good business practice. And then my friend just sent me an article yesterday where they found in the Walgreens, they called people back because they injected them and they gave them saline. And I said, see, what did I tell you? So it proves the point. Some of the batches is just pure saline. So what you see with uh, some of these celebrities or politicians, if they're truly getting a shot, I bet you they have a way to market. They are getting saline shots, people. That's why nothing that. happens. Look, look at that. Biden who took the shot. Yeah. As sick as he Kamala looks, how can nothing happen to him? Mm -hmm. Kamala too. They, a lot of them took, the, a couple of people took the shot on, on uh, TV. And nothing happened to them. And it's because they get the real thing. Yeah. Come on now, let's keep it a bean. Yeah, they're they're playing chess and the black community is playing video games. Like they're coming, they're coming at us so hard right now. Like it's not even funny. So that's why I just had to have this meeting. I'm gonna do a weekly um COVID meeting. Um just to keep everybody updated. Um, Outlaw, I want to definitely thank you for the vitamin D3 because I had no idea how important that was without your information. I actually take that every day as a supplement. Well, not every day. Um, I do skip a couple of days because you can take so much of it that you have a lot of energy and you're just not sleeping properly. So I do kind of take it, you know, but I do take the vitamin D and I give it to my children too. That really does help with your immune system. That silver, taking a little bit of silver, mm -hmm. um, you know, simple stuff like that. I'm telling you, like 
will really make a big difference. Oh. Yes. You know, one, one, tr- one cheap trick um, I'm sharing with people that I'm doing is if you get yourself some copper jewelry, you wear a little copper as simple as a ring because copper is really good for fighting pathogens. So it helps your immune system, literally the actual metal you get yourself and they're dirt cheap. You get yourself like pure copper, whether it's a bracelet or something or hospital knobs and all the bed railing, all of it should be copper. One of the ways it, for you to get infections is the hospital is the number one place. That's where superbugs spread. And if they outline the hospital full of copper, this wouldn't occur. And what I'm saying, the reason it doesn't happen is how else are they going to make their money? The more tests, the sicker you are, the more money they make. They're not in the health business. Exactly. It's sick care. But copper would be something else. I'd say people would want to um, get yourself a little piece of copper jewelry that you like and you wear. And it actually will help to modulate and enhance your immunity because copper is great against pathogens. Yeah, yeah I had uh, told my mother about... Um, the copper. I told her about copper and I also told her about silver. She tried to take mm-hmm. that to her doctor and then came back and told me, well, the doctor said this and said that. I said, mom, of course, he's going to tell you that because he's trying to make money off you. I said, the more that you, you know, if you come and tell him what you're going to do to supplement your, your diet and to take care of yourself, you don't need him. So of course he's going to tell you, you know, this isn't right for you. <clears throat> Yeah, You know, doctors get three hours worth of nutritional training in their few years of school. Three total hours. That's it. Wow. <laughs> and I think drinking out of a... Drinking from a copper vessel, um, drinking water out of a copper vessel is, is good as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. Yeah, where do you get those from? Probably Amazon or something. Right, Amazon is where I get mine from. Got you, got you. Okay, cool. And um, that up tonight. Also, the gold. I've been taking monotonic gold. For everybody that doesn't know what that is, it's um, uh-huh. Ethereum gold, and they just discovered, quote unquote, discovered it in 1975, and. Um, it's really good for your brain. It's good for your energy. And um, actually, in some of the trials that they're doing for HIV, they're injecting people with um, this a different form of gold. I forgot what the name of it is. But basically, they're trying to use gold to cure HIV. Now, now in 2021, they're saying, oh, we might finally have the cure for AIDS. <laughs> Kim, I, I can guarantee you, even if they did, they would turn it into a drug, dilute it, and then that way keep you on the drug indefinitely. They're, they're not in the business secures. That that doesn't make any sense for what they do. They got to make Absolutely. That, that coin. Because that the gold was mentioned years ago. I'm talking about years ago. They talked about this and they shut down the same way they're shutting down people now for the COVID thing. They're doing, they did the same thing with HIV. They did the same thing with uh, cancer, all of those. So yeah, this isn't, this isn't new, but now they've tried to find a way to make money from it. So good money. There's a doctor, his name is Boyd Graves. If you look up Dr. Boyd, B-O-Y-D and Graves, G-R-A-V-E-S. And it's called oligodynamic silver hydrosols. He you, he fooled around with a certain form of silver 
and he was getting rid of HIV. There's a patent for it. If you look up Dr. Board grades and I think HIV, you'll see it there. It's been around for years. That's what I mean. Like they, they know. They're not, why are you going to give you cures? We're going to give you treatments forever. We're going to treat that ass forever. Exactly. But they'll never stop making money as long as they're giving you drugs, you know, but not giving you nat. They give you natural supplements. You don't need them. Yeah. And somebody in Africa just sent me an email today. They said in Africa, they're, they no longer are giving out the HIV medicine there to over 3 million people because they say it's a shortage due to the COVID pandemic. And I guess if you, if you stop taking the medication, basically your body will create a mutation and basically you're gonna get sick again in a short amount of time. So I'm thinking like, did they do that on purpose? Because how, how is it that they can mass produce vaccines, but they can't make the HIV medication that they've been making for fucking 30 years? And it's funny that it's happening to millions of our people. I'm, I don't hear any white people complaining. I only hear Africans in Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, um, Democratic Republic of Congo, and places like that where they're complaining that they're not able to get medical treatment. And so it's really sinister what they're doing. I mean, it's just like, I really just feel bad for our people because if they knew that they could just get silver and gold, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's plenty of that in Africa. So. It's just really unfortunate. Um, but yeah, you know, um, we will have another meeting next week, guys, same time. So thank you for coming on tonight. I appreciate you guys for taking the time just to learn the knowledge and to share the knowledge as always. And um, we, me and Outlaw, we got to get together on a vitamin D video. So I'm going to email you about that. Definitely. Yeah. We, we need to add... Uh food-based vitamin c you know you can stack mm -hmm. a couple things there's there's a specific product um i'll email it to you it's a food-based vitamin c and it has zinc and echinacea in it it's a powerhouse you take that in d3 with k2 and i mean you you pretty much got your immune system covered daily yes yes i need that okay. i need some vitamin yeah. c i have asap so um i'm going live again and like 30 minutes on YouTube. So if you're going to be up, um, come on through to YouTube. If not, thank you for coming come on tonight. I appreciate it. Come through. I got to go pick my daughter up from work in a little bit, but I'll be there. Yeah. Peace, y'all. All right. Awesome. Everybody have a good night. And if you want a copy of this um, Zoom meeting, just send me an email. Okay. Have a good night. All right. All right. Good night.